I love how the Lord does that and how, because I didn't tell them which music or anything. They, the Lord just led you to choose that music for us and that everything that we've been singing has just been so wonderful. Um, I love how God goes before us to prepare a banquet for our souls. And he does it through just all the different people who come together because he's prepared this time and this day for us, for our souls, so that we will be strengthened. So um, it's just a real treat. I always get a little sad when I, we come to the last session. I'm trying to hold it together. I just, um, I've had opportunities to chat with a little bit, a few of you. And like I said at the beginning, I just wish I had time to spend with all of you. Um, but will you make sure that when we're all in heaven together, we get that time <laughs> if we don't get it here on earth? Because, um, I really enjoy it uh, in this time. So this last session is, how can I live well in this season? And uh, again, it's just looking more at uh, continuing with unmet expectations and really even just where we find ourselves living in a world that's like, well, this is not what I expected life to look like at this stage or that um, that the United States would look like this or my country where I'm living or my state or my church. Um, but how do I live well in this season? So that's what we're going to be looking at in this session. And uh, you know the story of Queen Esther and how God used her to protect uh, the Jews from who were living in Persia during the, king, the days of King Ahasuerus. And, and you know the story of how the Lord put her in uh, the king's court by having her win his beauty pageant and and how she found favor from the king because her uncle Mordecai had overheard a plot to kill the king. And so he told Esther. And, and so the, she was even more favored because of that connection. And you also know that her uncle Mordecai, because the king had shown favor to Mordecai because he had uncovered the plot, then then Haman, of course, had um, come up with his nefarious plan to kill all the Jews because they would not... Um, give him the due that he thought he uh, deserved. And so he plotted harm against Mordecai and against all the Jews. And the climax of Esther's story is really found in Esther chapter 4 in verses 13 and 14, where we read this. Then Mordecai told the queen's servants to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And Mordecai, in, this, in that 
part of um, the book of Esther urged his niece to understand that God had placed her sovereignly in that position of uh, just being able to make a difference in order to preserve the lives of the Jews who were living in Persia. But just like Esther, we too have been sovereignly placed by God in the position where we are now, and even in the time in which we are living, God has placed us here because He wants to use us for good in the world. And the world that Esther found herself in was, I mean, that was a scary situation, and her life was very tenuous. Who, you know, you just didn't even know what was going to be happening next. Um, and if pretty scary even to consider that someone was plotting to wipe out your whole nation. Um, and yet when we look at her story, we can gain courage for the times that we live in now. Uh, we have no idea what life may look like a year from now. You know, we've seen a lot of change in our country, even the last few years. Um, we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, but we do know that in the wisdom and sovereignty of God, you have been placed here in this time, in this span of history, by God's divine appointment. You are here for such a time as this. Now, Esther spent a year preparing for the beauty pageant, um, and she was under her constant guidance during that time. And her uncle Mordecai was giving her counsel even after she became queen. But Esther prepared herself for the events that she would encounter in her life. And just like we even talked about in the last session, we too need to be preparing our hearts for what may be coming next. And the way that we prepare our hearts is by going back to the Word of God, placing our faith in God's Word, becoming adept at studying and handling God's Word, that we would be faithful to the Word Word of God, so that we can then navigate the fears and the stresses and the strains and the discouragements and, and the difficulties of living well in a world that's growing increasingly hateful of God and of His ways and of His people, um, and to, that we can raise up the next generation to live well in a, an even tougher world. We have been placed here for this time and this season so that we would not be faint-hearted women, but women of courage, women who know their God and take action. And so when we look, though, at this world you know, we can be a little fearful. I don't know about you, but my default sin is always fear. Like my core sin, if I'm going to, any kind of sin comes out of me at its root is because I'm afraid. 
And so for me, my core sin is fear. So if you put me in a new situation, I'm afraid. If um, you know something uh, distressing comes upon me, it's be- I will react because I'm afraid. You know, so anything. Um, there's things that make us fearful. And sometimes we don't even, we don't tell anybody what our fears are, but those, those are sometimes the things that wake us up in the middle of the night <laughs> and we think about, and they run around in our minds and they run around in our minds and, and then we don't go back to sleep. And then people wake up and when we get up in the morning, they're like, Oh, you look a little tired. And, uh, you know, we don't even want to tell anybody what we were thinking about in the night, but there they're still there, aren't they? They're, they're running around in the bottom of our hearts. And those fears can sometimes interrupt our fellowship with the Lord because they become so gripping. And the problem with fear, too, is that it's contagious. And so we may not even be communicating it to others, but it's it permeates even our being when there's when there's fear because it'll come out as anxiety or maybe being controlling and it can affect the people that we live with the people that we love the most that we don't want to hurt at all but our fear can ripple through and even in our fear it can affect our husbands it can affect our children it can affect the women that we disciple even by our responses if we don't deal with the fear in our hearts at its core. Now, we have all kinds of normal fears, <laughs> fears that we can default to, you know, and and we do. We 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 look at the world and it, it does in cause us to fear about different things and we can worry about things and we can worry about raising our kids and we can worry about the immorality in the world and we can worry about the wickedness that's happening and and is my husband going to you know end up in jail and will I have to go begging to you know to even provide for my children and you know all the stuff that we worry about and we're worried about losing our investments. We're worried about our retirement. We're worried about losing our minds. We're worried about our bodies aging and everything sinking to our ankles. And we, you know, we're worried and fearful about everything. And those are just mine. I don't know what yours are. <laughs> you know, we just, we're fearful of stuff, you know, and um, we're fearful of change because, well, it's change. And I haven't, I don't know what that thing is. And we're fearful then of things not changing enough. You know, we, we it's like, is it going to stay this way forever? And then we're fearful of things not, um, even the process of change. Well, how are you going to do it, Lord? And so we're fearful of that. We're fearful of living with unmet expectations. It's like, Really? For the rest of my life, I've just got to live with this. We're fearful of living with difficulty. We're fearful of living with weakness. We're fearful of living with a delay, with disappointments. We are fearful. We're afraid. And our fears oftentimes aren't rational, which is why we don't tell anybody about them because it's like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy if I'm... Um, but they, our fears don't have to make sense to anybody else. 
for us to still be affected by them. And our fear can then spread uh, to uh, those that we're close to. And all this fear and all this fear-based responding to life can lead to us being lopsided, where we're not this healthy, you know, kind of ball that rolls through life. We're more like kathunk, kathunk. <laughs> Kathunk. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to go through life going kathunk, 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 because I was not thunkin' right. <laughs> I, you know, that was dorky. Sorry. <laughs> but I don't want to be a kathunker, you know? I want to think rightly so that my soul is smooth in how I'm thinking that I can go through life thinking rightly about my circumstances. Life is hard. Life is coming at us, all this stuff. But what do we see of Jesus? Jesus went through life. All these things were coming at him, but his eyes were on his father. And he's our example. So let we can follow him. We don't have to be crooked in our responses. We don't have to grow misshapen. We don't have to be that have this lopsidedness to our souls when it comes to how we respond to what's happening in our lives. But just like Esther, it does take preparation on our part. It takes thought and intentionality on our parts to be thinking about how am I responding? I think I've got a kathunk happening in my life. And I see it, but Lord, will you help me? How can I change? How can I move from this place so that it can be smoothed out by your word? So what we want to do is we want to fasten our eyes on the Lord and his word to give us wisdom um, so that we don't live life gripped by fear. And if we focus on our unanswered prayers, if we focus on our denied hopes, if we focus on unwanted circumstances, if we focus on our unmet expectations, we're going to just be crippled. And so we need to focus on the Lord. Um, when our focus is off the Lord and on the way we think things should be, and the way we want them to be, and the way we expect them to be, then we're not going to live rightly. And we don't think rightly, and we don't respond rightly. Because how we think matters to the way that we respond, how we live before the Lord. And we certainly can't impart anything helpful to our family and friends, to those that we're serving. And um, when we are in this cycle of focusing on the stuff we're missing out on or the way that we think it should be, then we are looking for our rescue in a change of our circumstances. We're looking for our hearts to be satisfied by something different. That's not how I thought it was going to be. And so we're looking for something else instead of finding that our hearts are satisfied in the Lord, no matter what is happening in our lives. 
And yet when we pry our eyes off the fearful stuff, on the unwanted things, and we fasten our eyes on the Lord, we can bring him glory. We can give him glory. He is honored and blessed by our faith. And so when we do that, the misshapen parts of our our souls, the, the lopsided parts, the crooked things in our responses, in our souls, and in our hearts begin to get corrected and straightened out. Every fear, every worry, every fret can be dealt with at its core by Psalm 16. Now there's other places too, but we're going to just look at Psalm 16. And I think in Psalm 16, what we find here are some key truths that we can apply to our lives so that we can get over our struggles and come at life from a biblically humble, healthy, and hopeful perspective if we would just meditate on these truths and begin to apply them in our lives. And so we're going to only look at verses 5 through 8. The whole psalm is fabulous. All the Psalms are fabulous. All the scripture is fabulous. But we're just going to look at verses 5 through 8 for the hope and help that we need so that we don't fall prey to fear and lopsided living that can stem from unmet expectations, from fears, from disappointments and discouragements. So our first point is in verse 5, where we see that the Lord himself will help you live well. And in verse 5, We want to consider what the psalmist is saying here about the Lord. He says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Now, what David is doing here is he's using the language of the land inheritance that God had told the the nation of Israel about when they went into the land and, and they were all receiving their special lot from the Lord, their special place in the promised land that God had for the nation of Israel. And so every tribe had their special lot. Well, David is taking that same language in a applying it to his life in Psalm 16. And, you know, we don't necessarily understand land inheritance or land allotments. And, you know, most of us, you know, we, we just move into a house. You know, we haven't received a special place. But that's exactly what David is using. He's got that in his mind And it was a very familiar picture for David and for the nation of Israel to even just understand of what it is that that the Lord is our inheritance and that we have a lot, that he is our lot. Now, we know that God had promised to Abraham and to his descendants that God was going to give them that special land. And so when they went into the promised land, then each tribe got their special spot. And, you know, the thing was is, you know, if you were part of that tribe and you were maybe from Manasseh, and you had your your spot where you were supposed to go. But here you are, a little tribe of Manasseh, and you're looking over at the tribe of Dan. It's like, I want to live where the Danites are living. and But everybody's like, come on, come on. It's like, but I, 
I want to go over there. And yet that's not where your tribe was going to live. You were to live within the tribe of Manasseh in their land allotment. So what you got is what you got. Oh, that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Where you are living right now is where you are supposed to be living right now. So we're, we're, we're in verse 5 here, ladies. And what we see here is David reflecting on that for his own life as he's thinking about his circumstances and his own life, that the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. What have I received from the Lord? What is happening in my life? You know, when we look at portions, we're moms, you know, we, we, we know all about portions. And what do we do? Here's your plate. I've given you your portions. We give that to the kiddos. And, uh, and then what do we say when, if anybody whines about, I didn't want that or whatever. It's like, no, this is what mommy has given you and you need to eat it and be thankful. And so we talk to the kiddos and mommy's only giving you a little bit, but you need to eat it all. <laughs> and so you can see the, you know, those little ones. But isn't that exactly what we see in verse five? <laughs> the Lord is our portion and he is, an, he is our inheritance. And so what we see here is, but who's on our plate? The Lord And yet sometimes we can look at our plate and it's like, yeah, but Lord, I still want over there. And the Lord is not enough for us. We're looking for, I want this thing and I want that thing. Lord, it's just not enough for me to have you as my portion. I want this and I want this and I want this. Because our souls long for more. And yet, David says in verse 5, the Lord is my portion. He is my inheritance. And so even that kind of causes us to rethink. So how am I thinking about my portion? How am I thinking about my inheritance? Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When he is our portion, we have the strength we need to navigate any circumstances or fears because he's the strength of our hearts. You know, when we, our hearts, our our flesh and our hearts are fail, when, you know, we're not responding well, when we're struggling with sinful responses, where do we find the strength to respond well? From the Lord. The Lord is the strength of my heart. My, my heart is failing me right now, but the Lord is the strength of my heart, and He is my portion forever. Psalm 47.4 tells us something really important about our portion. It says that the Lord chooses our inheritance for us. The, 
What this tells us is not only is the Lord our portion, but he's the one who gives us our inheritance. So again, is that whole idea of the land allotment. Here you go. And it's almost like being ushered into like the special spot. Okay, here, this is where you get to live. And I'm going to put little um, fences up around you and you get to live in this little place. And you kind of look around and you think, well, I was really like to jump over the fence and I like that spot over there. But that's not where you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live in this little spot right here. The circumstances of our lives are where we're supposed to live. You are living right now in the little the little spot where the Lord has you. And so now what we need to do is consider how am I thinking about where I am living? How am I considering this? You know, one of the things that Jeremiah did with this truth is he comforted himself thinking about the Lord being his portion. Lamentations 3.24, Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. When he recognized that the Lord is my portion, then he, therefore, because the Lord is my portion, therefore I am going to put my hope in him. And so there's that connection of recognizing that because God has placed himself to be the portion of our hearts, to be the satisfaction of our hearts, that he then we are to put our trust. We are to consider how we can put our hope and trust in him. And in in Psalm 16 and verse 5, we see that the Lord gives himself to us. He is our portion. In the book, The Valley of Vision, um, it says this, in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in him, I have been given so much that heaven can give no more. And uh, I, I love how that's, you know, what that says in that line from the prayer of the Valley of Vision, that in, I've been given so much in the Lord that heaven can't even give me more. Because we always think, oh, in heaven. But in Christ right now, we have been given so much that heaven can't even give me more. It says in John 1.16, For of the Lord's fullness we have all received, and one gift of grace upon another. Just grace upon grace upon grace. In him, I have received so much that heaven can't even give me more. Verse 5 of Psalm 16, the Lord is my portion, and he is also my cup. Now, the cup in the scriptures is, you know, it's that picture of refreshment. You know, I'm going to take a cup. I'm going to drink from that, and it's going to refresh my soul. It's that idea of sustenance and health and restoration. And because the Lord is my cup, then I can come to him at any time and get nourishment and refreshing for my soul. And this is vital for our spiritual health and for well-rounded living so that we're not little kathunk girls, you know, so that we're not doing that, we need to recognize that the Lord is the one who's going to be our portion, our cup for us. Only him. 
Only the Lord as our cup will satisfy our soul. Only the Lord as our cup will revive us and strengthen our fearful hearts. And like Esther prepared her heart to go to the king, so we need to prepare our hearts to go to our king, who is our cup, and who will revive us so that we can be a blessing to others. In John seven thirty seven, Jesus said, If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Is there any one of us in this room who is not thirsty for him? I am so thirsty for him all the time, aren't you? Jesus says, come to me and drink. But sometimes we forget that. It's like, I'm so thirsty, I'm so thirsty, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. And we, it's like, no, we need to fill our souls with the Lord. Psalm 107.9 says that the Lord has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he fills with what is good. With the Lord as our cup of refreshment, we can live in a well-rounded way, not be lopsided, not be crooked, not be misshapen or deformed by sinful unbelief and fear and unmet expectations. And then the end of verse 5 tells us that the Lord supports our lot, which means that he maintains where we're living. He maintains our lives, and he makes us secure in the lot that he has given us. God promises to help us in our lot. In Isaiah 41.10, God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. The Lord gives us what we need. We don't need to be anxiously thinking about, okay, I need to take care of myself. I need to do it all. I need to fill up my lot and do take care of it, maintain it myself. And we know what that's like. I just need to do it myself. I can't depend on anybody else. Yeah. The Lord supports our lot. So when it comes to dealing with fears that we might have about living life in a world that's gone bonkers, in a time of history that we never thought we would see, then we can remember, verse 5, that the Lord will support our lot as we live well in this world, in this time. The Lord did not put you here in the place you are living, in the time you are living, in this season of the world's history, so that you would just survive and barely just like hang on. He intends for you to thrive because as you thrive, the world is going to continue to not thrive. They are, they are suffering. But believers need to be the ones with joy and courage and hope, no matter what is going on out there, because our God supports our lot. 
We have been lovingly placed here in this time and season for a purpose. And that brings us to our second point. The Lord will help you to be at ease wherever he puts you. He will help you to be at ease. Because sometimes we, we know, okay, the Lord put me here, but our, we're not at ease. We're not at rest in it. And verse 6 tells us, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. That's, that's a picture of just, no matter where you're living. I think this is, for me personally, this has been one of the most pivotal truths in this passage. Um, It just throughout my life, and especially when I had little ones at home, and when they were all just boom, 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 and I was kind of struggling with, well, the you know, the boys aren't, aren't having as much time with me as I was able to give to our daughter, and and they're, are they going to be ruined because of that, you know, and I was kind of struggling with all of that kind of stuff, and thinking I needed to do it all the same, and all those kinds of things. And the Lord ministered to me from verse 6, that the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And what it taught me is these are the lines that I'm living in right here. And they are pleasant places. And sometimes we can look around where the, our lines have fallen here it is. These are the lines that have fallen to you. And we can think, this this does not feel like a pleasant place. But what has God called it? What street are you living on? Pleasant place. You are living in the beautiful heritage. And so that is true not only for you, but it's true for your children is true for your grandchildren, is true for your husband, is true for the women you disciple, it's true for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. God has not an, made a mistake. And so as I contemplated those things, it helped me to even take comfort even for my kiddos, that God had placed them in our family, in the order that he intended. The lines have fallen to them in pleasant places too. Yeah, you're number three. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> But you also get the benefit of an, a more experienced mommy. So, you know, you got that going for you. You know, number one, she, you know, she kind of got the little crazy mommy. And so there you are. But she also got more time with mommy. The lines have fallen to them in pleasant places, too, which helps us to be at ease wherever God has placed us. Our inheritance is from the Lord, which means that all the sovereign details of our lives come from him. So if we reject that, if we fight against that, if we don't like it, then what we are saying is that your good and wise plan, Lord, is just not good enough for me. And yet God has placed us here in this time, in this season, with all our unique circumstances, for good, 
so that we can be a light in this world. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Deuteronomy 32.4 tells us, The rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are just. He is a God of faithfulness, without injustice, and righteous and upright is he. Hebrews 12.10 reminds us of God's intentionality and purpose in his work in us. It says that our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we would share his holiness. And Charles Spurgeon said, remember this, had there been any other condition been better for you than the one in which you now are? Divine love would have put you there. It kind of takes all the all the air out, you know, out of our tires, doesn't it? It's like, oh, okay, I'm here by divine love. I mean, if God wanted me to be somewhere else, I would be. Now, God may move me tomorrow, but for today, this is where God has placed me, and so. What this does, though, is it it causes us, we have a choice now. How am I going to respond? How am I going to think? Will I and can I learn to be content wherever I am? And of course, you all know the answer to that because Paul has told us that we can learn to be content in whatever circumstances we're in, right? We've all memorized it. We told it to our children. Be content. You can learn to be content. But what about for us today in our circumstances? Philippians 4, 10 through 13, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. I I know you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. It's not that I'm looking for this handout, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. It's like, oh, tell us what the secret is then. I want to know. And of course, you know what it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so... You know, we, we love the idea of learning how to uh, be content in prosperity. <laughs> I would love that, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> and we, we would love the idea of being content with being filled in abundance. Oh, yes, I know how I could do that. And yet, we also need to learn to be content with humble means um, of going hungry There's probably not very many of us who've ever gone hungry. But Paul says he was content even in that, of both of having abundance and suffering need. But how is that possible? Only through Christ 
who strengthens us. He helps us to be content in whatever circumstances we're in. And so we need to learn to thank the Lord for the boundaries, for the inheritance that we live within. And as we do so, it changes our perspective so that we won't respond with fear. We are not going to chafe against that where we're running at the the fences like, no, I want to get out. I want to get out. Instead, we live with contentment where God has placed us until he moves us to a different spot. The Lord is our shepherd. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us to the right spot at the right time. It's like from our first session, now. He knows when now is, but we can't We can't change it. We can't make it happen faster. We need to wait for God's now for our lives. And until he moves us now, we are to stay here. And so the question, remember that Mordecai asked Esther, who knows whether or not you have been born for such a time as this? We also need to apply to our lives. And then we can answer it with, I know I have been sovereignly placed here in this time, in these circumstances, with all these people around me, these particular ones, by an all-wise and all-sovereign and all-good God. So when it comes to dealing with fear over fearful times, then we can rest in God's perfect and wise plan. Because God has placed you here in this time and in this season and in your current circumstances for good. For good. Even with the unwanted, unanswered, unexpected things that are going on. And so the question for us to consider is, okay, yep, I see it. How am I going to respond? How do I need to think about this? Am I going to grow faint-hearted? Am I going to stay worried? Am I going to waste the time that God has given me here by wringing my hands in fear, uh, by, by growing anxious? Am I going to be dejected and have a pity party? Or am I going to fasten my bonnet, fix my bustle, and trust the Lord. God has placed us in this time, in this place, in these circumstances for a purpose. And no one else. You have been called and placed in this span of history. God could have plunked you down anywhere. You get to live now. And yeah, it's fearful. Yeah, it's scary. It's not what we wanted it to be like. I mean, we want things to be comfy and cozy all the time, don't we? But is God enough? Is he enough for our souls? And can we be the women who put our trust in the God of the universe so that we will have faith in him and can communicate that same trust to those that live with us, that we would be different, that we would be lights in a world that has no hope. 
And that brings us to our third point. The Lord will help you navigate all that comes to you. Verse 7. David says, I bless, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. We have a, a friend, uh, he used to be a, a river guide on the rivers, and uh, he would take people down uh, in a raft, and take, you know, you'd be able to ride the, the rapids and, and go uh, down there. And, but before a particular section of the river, when we would be going through and there would be some of the narrows and stuff, and uh, we, he would always pull us out to the side, he would get out of the raft, and he would look at the river. He would navigate the river to make sure that he knew where he needed to take us in the raft so the rest of us wouldn't get thrown out and into the river. Well, what we see in verse 7 is that the Lord is giving us counsel instruction and instruction. He helps us navigate through life so that we can get through the tricky places and maneuver through so that we can live well in trying times. Verse 7 tells us that the Lord counsels and instructs us. And the scriptures tell us over and over again of how God instructs us and helps us and steers us and guides us through difficult circumstances. He makes sure that we are guided to the right places. And this is what caused David to rejoice, where he says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you thanked the Lord for him counseling you? You know, we, we often it's like, oh, I need to meet with a discipler. I need someone to counsel me. I need help. The Lord is the one who counsels us. He uses his word to lead us and guide us. He counsels us. Psalm 32 verses 8 through 9 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. The mighty counselor, the eternal God, the Lord of lords, says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So don't be as a horse or as a mule, which has no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. God counsels us with his eye upon us. That means it's the wisest counsel. It's not like he, he's missing the boat when he counsels us. No, he counsels us watching. He knows what we need. He uses his word through the Holy Spirit residing in you. As you come to the word, as you're listening, as you're sitting under the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit brings what your soul needs so that you can grow and trust the Lord. The Lord counsels us. Psalm 25, verses 8 through 10 says this, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way, and he leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. 
all the paths of the Lord, our loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. These verses in Psalm 25 and verses 8 through 10 give us this important truth that God's character moves him to counsels us, counsel us. He's good and upright. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, because God is good and upright, therefore, he instructs us in his way. And he leads the humble in his way. He counsels us. And then it says that all the paths of the Lord are loving, kindness, and truth. So you think about, okay, here's this path that I'm on. (laughs) But it's kind of like, that's a little scary over there. I don't really like this path. I want to get off this path. I want to be on the path that my friend is on because that one's nicer over there. But what does God say in Psalm 25.10? All the paths of the Lord are loving, kindness, and truth. So he has placed you on this path, and your path is called loving, kindness, and truth. And so when we are coming along and you're walking down a path and it doesn't feel like loving, and loving kindness, and truth lane, and you are not enjoying loving, kindness, and truth lane very much, what do you need to do? You need to tell yourself the truth about your situation. Nope. This is, this is not miserable way. This is loving, kindness lane. This is loving, kindness lane. Where God has me right now is his loving kindness to me. And as we begin to counsel ourselves with the truth of God's word, God is counseling us. He's instructing sinners in the right way. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11 tells us where God says, Take my instruction and not silver, knowledge rather than the choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels and all the desirable things cannot compare with her. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, am I going to believe that God's way is best or not? Will I believe that he truly does know what is best for me? And will I choose his way or am I going to fight against him? God's wisdom and counsel always produces peace for our souls. In Matthew 11, 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls when you receive God's wisdom and counsel. Another thing we noticed in Psalm 16, verse 7, is David's preparation to receive God's counsel and guidance. David says, My mind instructs me in the night. The Believer's Bible Commentary says, Even during hours of sleeplessness, as David prayed and meditated on God's word, his heart had instructed him. So far from being wasted time, the time was sanctified to his comfort and blessing. The comfort that David received from the Lord from his word as he meditated on the word of God in the nighttime kind of actually is what is being communicated in verse 7 is almost an anticipation like, I'm so excited, I'm awake. (laughs) That's what is being communicated in verse 7. There is this almost excitement like that 
I will bless the Lord who has counseled me, and my mind instructs me in the night. I'm so happy. I'm awake. <laughs> now, I, I don't know how you feel about waking up in the middle of the night, but when the Lord has, has you placed the Lord's word in your heart, and you're meditating on his word in the night, and you're talking with him, there is a sweetness to that that can't be replaced by anything else. And that's what David is communicating in verse 7. In fact, in Psalm 119, 148, it says, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. How's that for excitement at waking up in the middle of the night? The psalmist says, I anticipate the night watches. It's like, Oh, is it? Is it time to wake up? No, go back to sleep. No, is it time to wake up? We have um, this uh, uh, heated towel rack in our bathroom, and from where I sleep, I can see the towel rack. And um, so it, it has a timer. So at 5 a.m., the light turns on. It tells me that it's starting to warm up the towel. And so I know when I see the light that it's 5 a.m. And so it's kind of like, oh, it's not time to get up yet. And then I'll look again. No, not time to get up yet. But when the light's on, it's time to get up. And it's that same idea that is being communicated in Psalm 119, 148, that we anticipate the night watches. Why? Not just to get up in the morning to take our showers, but that we may meditate on the word. And uh, Psalm 119, verse 50 says, This is my comfort and my affliction, that your word has revived me. It's that anticipation of spending time with the Lord. Why? Because the word of God revives our souls. And that brings us to our last point. The Lord will give you a steadfast faith. In verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I have been taking way too long on this. Okay, I will speed up. <laughs> Verse 8 gives us the goal for living during this time. When the Lord is continually before me, I will not be shaken. And the whole idea here is I have set the Lord continually before me. And now the, the verb tense of I have set the Lord before me is an intensive verb, which means I have purposely, intensely set the Lord before me. It's like I put the blinders on and I'm only going to look at the Lord. Do not distract me with anything else. I'm looking at the Lord. It's not this, I'm saying the Lord before me. I get it up right now. I'm going to read my daily bread. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. Verse 8 is intensely, I have set the Lord before me because when he is at my right hand, what? I shall not be shaken. David had too much happening in his life to do to be a meh response to the Lord. He had too many enemies, too much going on. There was, it was too much uncertainty. He set the Lord before him so that he would not be shaken. 
You have been called by God to live in this time, in this place, for God's purposes, for His glory. Uh, You know uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, by Tolkien. In, uh, In one part of the story, Frodo tells Gandalf, I wish the ring had never happened to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf wisely replies to him, So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given to us. All we have to do right now, ladies, is decide what are we going to do with the time that has been given to us. The Lord will help you live well. The Lord will help you be at ease wherever he puts you. The Lord will help you navigate all that comes to you. The Lord will give you a steadfast faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the the sweetness of Psalm 16. It truly is an encouragement and balm to our souls. Help us to find our rest in you, Lord. We confess to you our fearfulness. Lord, we desire to set you purposefully, intentionally, intensely before us so that our hearts will be at rest. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.